Bible says, in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Even when things don't make sense to us, even when life hurts, scriptures encourage us to have an attitude of gratitude because that attitude of gratitude can determine our altitude and we can go up higher with the spirit of thanksgiving the spirit of praise and even as we look at a chaotic week from this past week with Hurricane Matthew some would say what is there to be thankful for as that hurricane ravaged a very poor nation came up across our eastern seaboard and done damage this may not be much to some of you but I'm thankful that although the storm was bad it could have been a whole lot worse and I'm sorry for the 800 who have passed in Haiti as a result of the storm and I'm sure those numbers will continue to climb and there are people searching for clean water what little bit of housing they had was ripped away. Families were displaced. But it could have been a little bit worse. And because we're living in, and as we sing the song, it could have been me outside with no clothes and no shoes. I say thank you, Lord, for that. But because it wasn't me, I have a responsibility to help those who are outside without clothing, without shoes. And so when we think about what's going on in Haiti, we thank God for the ministries that are on the ground trying to meet felt needs and help hurting people. And I thank God for the ministry that is in this church that serves people, um, we would say in the bush, um, with a Christian school there that has really become the hub of that particular village. Bob and Kay Van Fletteren serve a school that God put it on their heart after several visits to start something indigenous within the community to give it back to the community. And it's not supported by the government or a church or anything. It's just his family doing what they can to help. And he asked for prayer on Wednesday night in our huddle group to pray for the school and to pray for the community because the word he got was that they were using the school as a place of shelter because many of the homes had their roofs blown off. And thank God that the school was able to stand the storm. Thank God that no one in that village died. Uh, but he and Kay are going over, I think, in a week or two. And one of their goals is to provide blue tarps to place over the small shanties and homes until... Uh, they can begin their reconstruction and the planting of the fields that have been washed out. And so as a huddle group, um, Clifton Robinson asked, what can we do? And, uh, and, and so Bob has said, whatever you can give to help. And uh, we'll give, as my wife prayed earlier, from our mites to our much to help. And so if you are looking for an outlet and you want to, if you can't go physically, a friend of ours, Peter Noble, is there serving right now and have other friends who are reaching out. If you can't go but you like to send an offering or to help provide tarps, I don't know if Bob and Kay are here today, but they would be glad to receive anything uh, that you give and they'll purchase the needed items. Um, also, my wife and I, we had family that had to evacuate out of South Carolina. Uh, uh, her 90, almost 90-year-old grandmother had to be evacuated from her home in Charleston. She's safe. And even in Virginia, it has uh, reached and hit so bad that my father-in-law's church is canceled today because of flooding in the streets. So um, as we pray for them, and, for, and you have stories of family, may we not only pray for them, be thankful for what God has given us and to whom much is given, much is required. And we're going to do unto them the way we would want someone to do unto us if we were in a situation like that. We're going to pray for real. We're just not going to put something on our Facebook post and say we prayed and we haven't. We're really going to pray and do what we can to help. 
this coming Saturday um, at 9 o'clock right here in the sanctuary. We're having what we are calling prophetic outrage, prophetic lamentation, a time to hear, heal, and help. If you're a guest with us today, uh, the mission and vision that God has given this church is about experiencing, explaining, and expanding his diverse kingdom. We're talking about race, class, and gender. And so as one of his many, many lighthouses in this community, we feel that we have a responsibility to equip the saints as well as to enlighten those who are lost and to open up God's house to be a place where people can come and pour out their hearts before God like water. And as a result of many of the uh, shootings that have taken place in our cities across the nation, many of them being filmed, it is... Uh, brought about various responses to people. And as the church of Jesus, um, this is to be a place, the strong tower, where people can run in and not only find safety, but also find instruction and encouragement. It's not a time to debate, not a time to politicize, uh, but this is a time for us to get together as God's people to share our hearts. Helping me with this three-hour block of time Dr. Mona Ivy Soto, one of our own, who's a Belmont University professor of education and social justice, and her husband, Jermaine Soto, Belmont University professor of sociology and training and development manager for Connection Americas. The three of us are going to get together and um, we'll have a time where we will explain what biblical prophetic outrage and prophetic lamentation is. We're going to share our stories. We're going to open up the mic and let people share. Some people are going to be sad because of the images that they have seen. They're, they're, they're very sad, and they have a place to voice that here. Some people are going to be upset, and they have a place to voice that here because both responses, when under the influence of the Holy Spirit, are proper and necessary and even biblical. So we'll share our stories it's like after uh, Dylan Roof had killed the nine people in the church in South Carolina, we felt the need to open up the church uh, not long after that for people to come in and weep and mourn. And it was very much of a healing time because so many of us have things that are pent up. Others of us have so many questions and we want to grieve with our brothers and sisters who these kinds of things impact them from a communal perspective. And so that's what we're going to do this Saturday. Um, but we're also going to equip you. Uh, we're going to not only get into small groups and share our hearts, but uh, Jermaine is going to do what he does so well. And he's going to provide an exercise for us to engage in dialogue, uh, to deal with the oppression and the things that we see. And then uh, Mona is going to share with us about sympathy versus empathy. And she's going to examine our role as activists um, in an informed way in this society, how we can move from empathy towards action that is grounded in biblical social justice. And so it'll be a good time, a time to hear, to heal, and to help. Um, I'll also be at Belmont this week, uh, attending one of the classes, speaking there on matters of social justice and what the scriptures say. So what we have here on Sundays, our ability to come together, we can't take for granted because this is not always the case. And here at Strong Tower, we don't have the same political background or persuasion. We don't have the same racial and ethnic experiences, but we have the same Jesus. And we recognize that we are one, even though we're not the same. And our oneness in Christ is greater than our differences. But because there are burdens and things that weigh heavily on our heart, many of us who are white have questions, how do I help, what do I do? We say no to white guilt, but we do talk about what is the spirit teaching by way of responsibility and encouragement. So the scriptures, the teachings of Jesus drive us, but they don't just sit idly in a church and we let the world go to hell in a handbasket. No, we show up as believers, as armor bearers of light, uh, asking God to give us the tongue of the learned, to speak a word that's needed, to not only expose what is being done, that has been done in this country, 
and has been perpetuated even in other countries for centuries to expose those things as prophets, but also to be those who can bandage up the brokenhearted, that we can be people who can provide solutions and ways of encouragement. So this Saturday, join us. Uh, there's no sign up. You don't have to pre-register. If we have 10 people, we're going to have a good time. If we have 110 people, we're going to have a good time. I've invited some preachers that I know who have uh, churches that I meet with, and uh, they've asked to come. So hopefully we'll have a sanctuary full of people who can come in and lament as well as express their outrage as governed by the Spirit of God. Now, uh, that's also found in your newsletter about that time, 9 to 12. No child care will be provided, but bring your child if you don't have a sitter. And then the following Sunday, October 23rd, this is a multicultural church, right? Can church say amen? This is multicultural. And I and our worship team, we've been invited to celebrate with West Harpeth Primitive Baptist Church for their 148th anniversary on the 23rd of October at 2 o'clock. And I am the speaker and our choir is leading worship. I may even get some of our ushers to come and help ush with their ushers and all that stuff. It's going to be a coming together of two churches. Uh, Pastor Hewitt Sawyers is a dear friend of mine. I've been knowing him for over 20, almost 25 years. And uh, my spiritual son, Cleon Harrison, and his wife, Casilda, attend there along with other friends. And it is an honor that they would ask me, ask us to come. Now, at the Primitive Baptist Church, the way this works now, this service at 2 o'clock. We're going to have church, and then we're going to have food together. They, 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 them sisters are going to do some, They're going to do it up. It's celebration time. We're also going to take an offering in that service. So I need about 50 of y'all to go with me. I need you to come and understand another church's culture, that the way Strong Tower do it is not the only way it's done but also to come and learn and love and rejoice with brothers and sisters over what God has done. Anything that can last 148 years that's being done in the name of Jesus should be celebrated. So yeah, come on with us. Come eat with us. And uh, man, let's have a good time and let's honor that man of God and his church. We'll talk a little bit more about that next Sunday too. So we'll leave and going out there at 2 o'clock. And then finally, next Sunday, uh, we have baptism. And as Felicia mentioned, uh, we've changed things with baby dedication, and now we're doing baptism. It's going to be during the service. So somewhere over here where the Joneses sit, the baptismal pool is going to be pointed in a diagonal fashion, and water is going to be splashed. Okay, we're going to try to lay runners and things down, uh, but we're going to celebrate the life of a young girl whose grandfather is coming in to assist with her baptism. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, you're not born again. You're not saved. Man, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Man, all you got to do is open wide your heart and say, Jesus, I want to be saved. And baptism doesn't make us saved, but it shows that we're saved. This December, I celebrate 25 years with this woman right here. And this ring is just a testament of that. Yeah. Amen. It doesn't make me married, but it shows that I'm married. And if I don't wear this ring, she has every right to uh, question the brother and say, what's going on with that? Are you ashamed of my love? And no, I'm not. And the Lord gives us baptism as a spiritual wedding ring to show the world that you're taken by him. So if you've never been baptized and you're a believer, give us a call this week. Or if you were dedicated as covenant children from the Reformed faith tradition and you want your child or you as a child, you want to be baptized, give us a call this week. And uh, as we begin the, the, the tradition of baptizing on the third Sunday. So Strong Tower, good things are happening. Don't forget to get your bulletin if you haven't gotten one. Let's have a good time in the word. Uh, I'll call Reverend Bell up here in a moment to close us in prayer. Uh, as you turn over to Luke chapter 8, we want to be in prayer for Atarius Collier and his wife Tamika. Atarius was scheduled to close us today, but we got a call this morning that his wife Tamika had pain in her chest and they had to turn around and go to the emergency room. So that's where they are now. Uh, 
so we want to pray for, for them. Uh, he assists Eric with leading our men's ministry, a dynamic brother, dynamic couple, amazing family. So as I uh, pray for the word today, I'm going to pray for the Collier family. Uh, today I'm preaching a message. It's called, I'm not crazy. I have faith. Y'all going to pray with me and pray for me. I, I'm not crazy, but I do have faith. So let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brother. Pray for his wife. Pray for their family that whatever she's feeling right now, if it hasn't already subsided, that it will in the name of Jesus. We pray that it's nothing serious. We pray, Lord, that it may be simple gas or heartburn in the name of Jesus. We pray for a good report. We pray that you would envelop them with your peace, dispatch your angels, because they are your people and they are your ministers in this body. So raise them up, bless them, touch her in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, touch me to help me to instruct your people through your word. Speak through me to them. You don't need me because your word stands by itself. But you have chosen to set up apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, men and women, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So, Lord, I stand because you've gifted me. I stand because you've called me. And I stand because of your grace. Help me to say what you've said in your book and help all of us to leave here not only better informed, but more inspired to make a difference because Jesus is making a difference in us. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for the results of this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 8. I have a question for you, Strong Tower. Have you ever walked into a house not long after someone has passed away in that house? Have you ever walked into a house where someone has just died and they're still laying there in state? Now, if you've never walked into a situation like this, let me tell you that on one hand, if you walk into a home of death, it can be dismal. It can be sorrowful. It can be gloomy. But not only that, it can also be a place of pandemonium. A place of panic. A place of drama. Because a lot of it has to do with the position or the relationship of the one who died with God. And a lot of it also has to do with the people who surround the person who passes away in their home, what their relationship with God is like. Because I have walked into homes where people have died and their bodies are still laying there in state. Matter of fact, I can think of two instances. Both were preachers who died, that I knew very well, loved and walked with and learned from. The first gentleman, when I walked into his home, because of his sickness, his bedroom had become the living room, or the living room had become his bedroom. And he passed away peacefully, and they sent a word out to all of the preachers, and those of us who could come, we came, and we came to the house not long after he had passed. And as we came in, the family was smiling. As we came in, the family was hugging and greeting. They were praying and worshiping. And I was honored to help take his body and help the coroner place the body into the van. It was just a peaceful moment. And another situation was with another pastor, a preacher friend, who had passed while sitting in his seat. And as he sat there, I walked into the room and children were playing around him, his grandchildren. And people, again, were singing. There were tears of joy because he, his body was no longer suffering and he, they knew that he was in the presence of the Lord. You see, because of Jesus, death loses its sting. Amen. 
Oh, I wish I had a witness. Because of Jesus, the grave has no victory. Because of Jesus, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because of Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're not living for this life. We're living for the next. And we're excited that our loved one beat us to glory. Because to die is gain because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, he gives the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us a peace that surpasses our understanding. At a time when the world has lost its mind, you're still in your right mind. As a time when the world turns to alcohol and libations to get filled so that they can try to numb the pain, we are filled with the Holy Spirit who turns our mourning into dancing. And you can't fabricate that. It's either real or it's not. And when you come face to face with death, the last enemy, the question is, who is the one who goes before you? Oh, I tell you who goes before me and my loved ones, Jesus, the great grave robber. He goes before me because in Luke chapter 8, Jesus, the prince of peace, walks into a house of mourning. Jesus, the prince of peace, walks into a house of death. And he proves that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, before I go into this passage, I just want to say to you, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you're mourning, no matter what you're going through, Jesus stands ready to walk into your situation and pronounce peace. I don't know what you're going through today, but he stands ready to walk into your situation and speak life, to even speak a prophetic word over you. The question is, are the doors of your house, the doors of your heart open to let him in? Or are you so conflicted by your pain, so restricted that you don't even want to trust Jesus to come into your house of mourning? You're hurting because of this. You're hurting because of that. And the Bible says each heart knows its own bitterness. But we got to turn to the one who knows the heart and pulls the strings of the heart. Let him in, let him in, let him in and watch him speak life. Watch him turn this thing around first in your spirit and it doesn't matter whether he does anything around you or not and changes the situation around you. It's the fact that he wants to speak a word in you. Let him in. Luke chapter 8, they let Jesus in. Verse 50, it says, but when Jesus heard it, that the girl had died, the 12-year-old little girl. He answered him, speaking to Jairus, the father. He said, do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. So Jesus said, you heard the facts. Increase your faith and watch there be a miracle. Verse 51, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John. And last week we dealt with that, his inner circle. They were with him in the everyday things of life, like this experience. They were with him on the mountaintop, as we saw, the Mount of Transfiguration. They were also with him in the tough places of life when they were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we encourage you, make sure you have an inner circle. Make sure you're a part of someone's inner circle. Be there for someone the way you would need someone to be there for you. And so he takes Peter, James, and John in, along with the father and the mother of the girl. Verse 52, now all wept and mourned for her. So Jesus is walking into a house of mourning. It's the sound of mourning. And we said last week just a little bit that in that culture, they would hire mourners to come to the house. Because of decomposition, funerals had to happen quickly. And so when people got word that someone was sick, the mourners got themselves together so that they could go to the house and mourn. Now, they were paid. It was an occupation. It was kind of like weeping Wanda on good times. You know, they just come. They, they don't got to know you. But their job is to weep because the way that that culture showed love was by having excessive mourning and wailing for the person who passed away. Now, whether you hired them up front or not, 
or you paid them on the back end. They were the kind of people who would come to your house when someone died, like when you pull up to a stoplight in certain cities and dudes just come out of the woodwork and start washing your windows for you and you didn't ask them to come wash your windows, but they expect you to give them money for washing your windows. That's kind of how the mourners were. When there was a death, boom, they showed up. And because Jairus was a man with power and prestige in the community, they knew also, man, we stand a good chance to get paid by showing up here. And because it was a little girl who had died, you knew it would pull on the heartstrings of the community, so the wailing went to 10. Now, Matthew's gospel lets us know in Matthew chapter 9, verse 23, that when Jesus showed up to the house, there were flute players to go along with the mourners, and the Bible says it was a noisy crowd. So when he shows up, it's chaotic. It's mayhem. It's confusion. And it's a whole lot of drama going on. So he walks up into this situation, and he speaks. And he says in verse 52, do not weep. So who is he talking to? No doubt mom and dad are weeping. And then all those mourners are weeping. And a lot of them are acting as they're weeping. Because that's the culture. And Jesus comes in and he says, stop crying. Then he says, she is not dead, but sleeping. So here comes this man. He comes in, leaves nine of his guys outside, rolls in with three along with mom and dad. Mourners are going crazy. Flute players are blowing. And Jesus says to everybody, stop crying. Then he goes on to say, she's not dead. She's sleeping. So in the midst of this drama, Jesus spoke plainly, clearly, calmly, and assuredly. Jesus told the professional mourners, this was their job. He told them to stop doing their job. He says, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And I'm here to say that the Lord is speaking to us the very same words today. And that is, do not weep. Your situation is not dead. It's just sleeping. Now, when he speaks these kind of words, they don't think he's a man of God. They think he's a man who flew over the cuckoo's nest. But he still speaks today and he's saying, stop mourning about your situation. It's not dead. It's just sleep right now. Your business, I know you think it's dead. No, you're just in a phase right now. It, it's sleeping. It's going to come back to life again. Your relationships, I, I know you think they're dead. No, they're not dead. They're just sleeping right now. Your ministry, your finances, Whatever you're going through, Jesus is saying, hey, hang in there. Don't have excessive sorrow. How about you have some excessive faith and believe that all things work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's not dead, y'all. It's just asleep right now. And so as he speaks about sleep and death, this was not a misdiagnosis. When he says she is not dead, he didn't misdiagnose the situation. He wasn't saying she was in a coma. He wasn't saying that she was involved in what some would call soul sleep. No, she was dead. Jesus used this kind of language when he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. Before he goes into Bethany or into Jerusalem, he tells the disciples, he says, uh, our friend Lazarus is sleeping and I'm going there to wake him. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's asleep, let him sleep because that means he's getting better. And so they mistook what Jesus said about sleep. And Jesus had to speak plainly in John 11:14 and say to them, Lazarus is dead. So my question is, Jesus, why don't you just come out and say folk are dead when they're dead rather than saying that they're asleep when they're dead? Well, this is a euphemism. And a euphemism is a word where in order to replace a word that sounds harsh, you insert a word in that's a little bit more gentler. So rather than saying someone is dead, you say that they are asleep. 
Now, I'm going to come and say something here in a moment, but hold on, because we do the same thing in our society today. Rather than saying, I got fired, we go home and say, I got laid off. That's a euphemism. Softens the blow a little bit. And rather than saying, man, they locking me up because I stole something from the job. No, they'll say, no, man, they got me for embezzlement. That, 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 that's a euphemism. You stole, but you want to make it sound a little bit better by saying I embezzled some funds. Or, you know, man, you know, I messed up. I, I had an affair. Uh, you know, I had an affair. No, you committed adultery. And we don't want to say those harsh words sometimes. So we use these softer words to try to make it a little bit more palatable and digestible for the people who are listening. And so Jesus would use that to say sleep and death. But don't get it twisted, though. Don't get it twisted. Listen to this. The Lord can wake someone up from death as easily as we can wake somebody up from sleeping. So to God, somebody who's died is like they've been sleeping to us. That is some of y'all. I know some of y'all is probably tough to wake up in the morning, especially Monday morning when it's time to go to alarm clock went off and you haven't stirred. The dog done came in and licked you in your face and you haven't stirred. The covers have been pulled off you and you haven't stirred. Some of you, we got to shake to get up, but you get up. And Jesus ain't got to do all that. All he got to do is speak the word, Lazarus, come forth. And that man come out bound up from head to toe out of that grave. And as he walks into this room, next week we'll see how he speaks to that little girl. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise. He didn't wait, raise his voice. He just spoke like, he spoke to her like she was already awake because technically she was. Her spirit had departed her body and the Lord was calling her spirit back into her body. He has that kind of authority. That's who I'm rolling with. I don't know who you're rolling with, but I'm rolling with him. So he deals with the sleeping part. When he says what he says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. The Bible says in verse 53, and they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. So here it is, folks. These are professional mourners. They've been to many, 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 many funerals. They've been into many homes and they've mourned and mourned. They've done it dozens of times, if not hundreds of times, and They've never seen someone who was dead come back to life. So here comes this upstart young rabbi walking into the room saying that she's not dead, she's sleeping. So these professional folk, that death is what they do. They said he don't know what he's talking about and they ridiculed him. Very much like Peter did when Jesus said to him after he had been fishing all night and didn't catch anything. Jesus said, man, launch out into the deep and let your nets back down again for a catch. Peter said, Lord, you, you may know carpentry, but you don't know anything about fishing. We've been fishing all night long, but since you told me to do it, I'll go ahead and do it. How many of us think we know more than the Lord when the Lord starts getting in our business? And we're going to try to tell him something. <laughs> but he's so patient. So the mourners ridiculed him. And this word ridicule, the King James Version breaks it down right. It says they laughed him to scorn. They just didn't laugh at him. They laughed at him to make him feel bad. They laughed him to scorn. What you mean coming up in here talking about she not dead? She, you must be crazy. But this ain't the first time people thought Jesus was crazy. Matter of fact, there were people who thought he was demon-possessed because of things that he said that were out of the ordinary that didn't line up with natural time and space. And so they ridiculed him. Now, Strong Tower, I have a confession. I have a confession. I have a confession. Now, if I was one of the mourners, or if I was one of the people in the neighborhood being nosy, seeing a bunch of people over there, and I'm, what's going on over there? What's going on? If I had been one of those people on the outside and one of those people on the inside, and here comes this young rabbi coming in talking about she's not dead, she's asleep. Had I been there, I'm going to be honest. I know you're spiritual. But had I been there, I'd have been like, he crazy. That Yeshua is crazy. Now, I know the widow of Nain's son who was healed in Luke 7. 
The Lord stopped the funeral procession, touched the coffin, spoke to the dead boy, told him to get up. And Nain was 22 miles away from where they are in Capernaum in Luke chapter 8. So maybe the news didn't spread fast enough to give somebody a glimpse of hope that he can do stuff like that. But had I been there, I'd be like, no, no, he must be out of his mind. But you know what, though? Sometimes Jesus says stuff to me now, and I think he's out of his mind. I don't have time to go down this street too far. But when he says stuff like, love your enemies, Wait a minute, Lord, you just, I do know, I know everything. When he says forgive as you've been forgiven, when he says honor me with the first fruits of your increase, wait a minute, Lord, I got the light bill, the phone bill, baby need a pair of shoes, telephone disconnect, wait until your next paycheck. You want me to honor you with money? Something must not be right, Lord. Let me get my stuff right, then I'll bless you. So, so we, we thought that he has been a little out of his mind when he says some stuff to us. But here's a great point of application. If it hasn't happened already, Jesus will tell you something or give you a vision to do something that requires great faith. But other people are going to think you're crazy when you do it. They thought he was crazy when he spoke what he spoke. He prophesied life. So when God gives you a vision, when he speaks something to you, and for a minute you might think, Lord, what are you saying? I don't get it. Then when you grab it and you start living it, don't be surprised if your loved ones around you ridicule you the way you ridiculed God when he first gave you the vision and the calling and the revelation. Like when God told me to start a multiracial church in the South. I was like, wait, hold, wait a minute, time out. I was going to plan a black church. I grew up doing black church. No, I want you to plant my church. And look at what I'm doing. I'm bringing to you people who are middle income, lower income, upper income, from various denominations, political persuasions, races. You just do what I'm blessing. And stop asking me to bless what you're doing. Okay, God, okay, okay, God. It seemed a little crazy. Matter of fact, Tony Evans told me, get wisdom from some older ministers in the community. So I took my spiritual father, one of my pastor's advice, and I said, let me go talk to some pastors in the community about the vision God gave me. I only visited one of them. Because that brother told me, black man, he says, son, don't do it. Because what you think you're doing for God will be building blocks for the devil. No wonder Nehemiah kept his vision to himself when he first got to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls because he probably knew nobody would believe it. And the enemy's going to uh, uh, ridicule me and say that what I'm building, even if a fox jumps on, it's going to be knocked over. So, so, so when God gives you a vision, don't be surprised if people put you down and think you're crazy. No, you're not crazy. You just have faith to take God at his word when he tells you to adopt. Adopt? We already got kids. Adopt. And not only adopt, but adopt from this nation. Adopt from this people group and this demographic. What? And here comes grandma. What are y'all doing now? That don't make sense. That don't add up financially. What are y'all doing? When the Lord says it's time for you to go back to school. When God says quit that job and get another job. Wait a minute, Lord, are you serious? I got people ridiculing me, but you won't let me go. You keep speaking. It's a step of faith I got to trust you on. <sighs> when the Lord says, I, I need you, I know you're single. I need you to wait on me and to commit your body to sexual purity. I know the world going to think you're crazy. Some saints are going to think that you're crazy. But it's not that you're crazy. It's that you got Faith, the Lord been telling you to stop smoking for a long time. And you up there talking about, I don't see it in the Bible. It don't say. <laughs> but he's been talking to you. And you know you're going to get ridiculed because you're not going to take the same smoke breaks with your coworkers like you used to take because you've made a commitment to honor God with your body. And, or you say, man, I am going to lose this weight. I'm going to get in shape. And your friends ridicule you and say, it'll never happen. But God spoke to you, and, and he speaks to us things. He may tell you to join a multiracial church that's led by a black man. And, oh, I don't know if my family's going to get it. 
I'm a black guy and I grew up in the black church. I'm not used to going to church with white people. I don't know if my family going to stay. Y'all thought I was talking about white people. No, blah, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. Do it. You may get ridiculed. But when you get ridiculed, that's usually a sign that you're walking close to Jesus because there's a thin line between being crazy and being full of faith. And as you walk in faith, people are going to think you're crazy. And that's really a compliment because they thought Jesus was crazy. So lay on for this safe Christianity. If God don't call you to take a risk, to do something that you have never been done, to be a trailblazer, my wife right now has written two books. She ain't never been no book writer, but God's been downloading stuff into her, and she's writing this stuff, and she's on the phone talking to people, knocking on doors, doors are slamming in her face, trying to get publishers and people to help her. And I'm watching this woman go. I ain't never seen this in her before. But when I read her stuff, I'm like, this is good. And then we start seeing God do something. This phone call leads to that connection, that connection. Because if God gave you something, he's going to bring it to fruition. Then I have a friend I close with. My dear friend. My barber. Tony Steele. Been cutting my hair for years. He used to be at the old spot called Cut and Curl. <laughs> he paid booth rent like all the other folk in there, but he had a vision to have his own shop. Because he had his own shop when he was in Detroit, so he knows what it's like to do it, to get started, you know. And so, so he, he has this vision to have his own shop. And he looks around Franklin for real estate and property, and the only place that he could find that was within his price range was a broke-down garage. Broke-down garage. And I remember when he took me over to look at it. And he is smiling from ear to ear as we walk up into this dilapidated, broke-down, tore-down, probably rat-infested spot. And he just walked around, man, I see some chairs right here. The cash register's going to be right here. We're going to have the mirrors right here. Up here's going to be all the signs where you get your hair cut, point to this. Over here, I'm going to have an arc, I'm going to have a pinball machine. Over here, I'm going to, and he's just talking. I'm looking at this brother like, you must be crazy. Because I don't see none of that up in here. He told his father. And his father was like, now, son, um. You might want to stay at Cut and Curl. <laughs> he tells his brother Herb, and Herb doesn't get it either. And Tony and Stephanie are by themselves with this vision because he could see something that nobody else could see because he heard something that nobody else heard. I, one more time. He heard something that nobody else heard, which allowed him to see something that nobody else saw. And those of us who didn't hear what he heard didn't see what he saw, and so therefore we ridiculed what he saw. But I'm so glad he didn't listen to me. Because just about every week, I have the privilege of going into classic sports barbershop, sitting down at one of those professional barber chairs, watching sports on flat screen televisions, and people coming in who are black and white, because that was also his vision to have a, a multiracial barbershop. And every week, I'm sitting in there, and on the wall, for former haters and doubters like myself. He's got a picture of the garage before it was converted into the barbershop just to remind all of us what God can do. Oh, strong tower. Jesus went into a house of death and he spoke words of life, but he was ridiculed. They thought he was crazy. No, he wasn't crazy. He had faith in what God, his father, could do. Have you ever thought about imitating Christ by how you speak? I know we want to try to walk as he walked, but how about us trying to talk as he talked? Now, to do this, we got to know what he said. So we got to be in the book and not just quote some preacher that sound good but ain't right. So I got to get in the book. And I got to say the stuff he said. But I warn you, as I challenge myself to start talking like this, people are going to think 
you out your mind. But he told his disciples, greater works than these you'll be able to do. Let it be done so according to your faith. It's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, it's what comes out of him. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So Jesus, teach me how to talk. Fill my heart with your words. And this week, Strong Tower, I encourage you, use words that are full of faith. No matter how crazy it may sound to you and to other people, use words of faith. This week, it's going to be all right. It's going to turn around. We are going to make it. We're not going to suffer uh, bankruptcy where God is going to provide. You just speak in your situation the way you need to speak. As governed by the spirit, as based on his word. And watch things begin to change. Watch God begin to do things. Because he's looking for someone who will believe that he is God. And not believe that he is crazy. Father, thank you for this encouragement today to imitate your son. Your spirit is in us to conform us to Christ. And Lord, I thank you that you're calling us out of safety into the great adventure of walking by faith. To challenge ourselves to not always have negativity in our mouths, but to be people of faith and to have the word of God in our mouths. To not be ruled by what we see because what we see is temporary. Our citizenship is in heaven. We've been adopted by you. We're strangers and pilgrims passing through. We're in it but not of it. Lord, help us this week when the bills come to be able to say, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. This week when the doctor's report comes, say, my God is a healer and he is able. I'm not going to bow down in fear to what I just received. My God is able. Lord, I pray that we'll have a positive confession in our mouths this week, especially with our brothers and sisters. When they call us with a burden, when they call us to pray, that not only will we pray, but we will stand believing with them that you will hear and answer our prayers. Revolutionize us, revolutionize this church. And I know this is new for many of us. But I thank you for the faith of Caleb, faith of Joshua. And rather than spreading a bad report because they were ruled by senses, no, they spread a faith report because they were ruled by God. And they said, we can take those giants down because God is with us. Do it in this church when we see financial reports. Do it in this church when we talk about how to canvas and reach this community. May we be, have warriors in this church who will speak words of faith and life, even in the face of death and threats and all kinds of negativity. Start with me, Lord. I'm looking forward to a great week starting today of having a positive confession in my mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Anybody out here got some faith? I know they might think you're crazy. Look, they thought you were crazy when you came to Jesus. They thought you were crazy when you gave your heart to Jesus. And you know what? Like Paul said, we're fools for Christ now. And I'm so glad that he chose me to choose him. But I wonder if there's somebody here today, man, you've never chosen him. But you feel like he's chosen you to know him. Bow the knees of your heart. Let Jesus sit. Oh, man, he'll change your life. Reverend Bell, come on up here, my brother, and give us that wonderful benediction. morning strong tower i'm going to ask before i pray to close us i'm going to ask scott to come up and just give us a quick announcement about the men's retreat coming up in a week or so i know they were handing out the small pamphlets this morning um showing the dates and times for the uh, men's camping trip which is on friday the 21st of october through saturday the 22nd this is just going to be men being men this is not like going to Fall Creek Falls, you know, Christian camp and everything is like church. This is going to be eating good food. This is going to be 
burping, passing gas, telling stories till you laugh and pass out, slamming dominoes, somebody getting set in spades, playing basketball, you know, throwing horseshoes, throwing cornhole, whatever it is. Look past the camping part of it. Look past that and think, this is guys being guys. Don't come up with excuses. Don't say, I can't go because I have got to sit down and watch a football game that day. Guess what? You'll find the score out later. Come and be with men. Have a good time. Just, just hang out. Just, just pray about it. You know, look into your heart and say, I've got time for a day and a half to go just hang out. So please, just think about it. Just come and have a good time with men. Thank you. All right, and sign-ups. Sign-ups, I believe, are right out here in the foyer, right after service. Okay. Well, let's stand as we get ready to pray and dismiss. Lord, thank you so much for church, for this body, for us being able to be able to come in, get encouragement, Lord, to, um, to get uh, accountability and to just be undergirded, to be able to go out and to be salt and light into a world that desperately needs you. And Lord, I thank you for the things that you've downloaded into us, that you've called us to do outside of these walls. Um, sometimes, Lord, when we think that it's too much for us, Lord, that's exactly where we need to be because we know that you're the one doing it through us. And as Pastor Chris said, Lord, we, uh, if, if it were easy, then we would take the credit for it. But Lord, we'd be very careful to give you the credit and the glory for it, Lord. And so now to him who is able to do all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.